Hello, class. This is your May chat. Nathan's in here. So if you hear his little nails tippy-tapping, and I think he just peed on something in here. He's oinking now. But I let him in. No, you're not going to be on my lap. I'm trying to record. Can you hear him snorting? I let him in here because I think people like to hear him snort and stuff. And Nathan. Um, I just went for a walk, believe it or not. It's like 70 degrees here, which to me is cold. I put on a sweatshirt. He's in my lap. And I walked. And that's, that's the most I've moved in a while. So what are we going to chat about? This case I'm working on, the Moore's murders, is driving me insane. Before I started the podcast, I made a big list, or like Ian did a master list, of all the cases I wanted to cover. And of course, I keep adding to it as I find out about new cases, and of course, new crimes keep happening. So if something, something comes to my attention, I'll write it down. Get off me, you're too heavy. And this one is is a huge one. It's probably the biggest one I've ever done as far as just the sheer amount of information on it that there is out there. And I thought this one's going to have to wait till I have quite a few episodes under my belt and I know what I'm doing. And I have the usual drowning in information because there's so much. And what's hard about this case, I think I mentioned there's so much misinformation out there. I don't know where it came from because I'll see the same books, same documentaries, same podcasts seem to have the same pieces of misinformation. Like they all came from a common source, but I can't figure out what that source is. Even books, which you would think would know better. So question is, how do you figure out what's true and what's not? And there, there's a couple tricks I've learned. And uh, if you're interested, I'll let you know. If you're reading a nonfiction book, look at before you start reading it or before you buy it, like I do. I won't even buy a book that's nonfiction. I want to know who wrote it, what's their connection, like are they a professor, are they you know, some expert in the topic, or are they just Mr. Joe Blow off the street? Do they have a uh, an agenda? If somebody does, I'm not likely to be interested in their book. I want like a factual, this is the story. And if it's about true crime, of course, I'm going to go with authors that I trust, that I've read before, that I know are legitimate. If they have interviews with people, especially the killer, the victims, DAs, defense attorneys, judges, the more people that they talk to, the more points they get with me. And it should be with everybody because you know, it's like uh, these facts are legitimate. You know, did they, uh, like my friend Caitlin Rother, well, she's my friend on Facebook, she's a true crime writer, and she tells us about 
when she's working on a book. You know, I went to this courthouse today. I looked up this and that, and I did. She does a ton of research. She goes to courthouses, and she looks up all this shit. And so you know when she writes a book that this is the real thing. She's really done her work. And I think I did mention that there's a couple main sources that I think are more legitimate than others. The main one is the one by Dr. Alan Keatley. And he talked a lot to Ian and corresponded a lot with him. And as for Myra's information, I'm going with Duncan Staff's book because he legitimately, after she died, he said he got boxes and boxes of her stuff. And he's like, oh, my God, look at all this shit. How am I going to ever get through this? So those are like the two main sources I'm using for their lives. Plus, they, they're both pathological liars. So when you have that to deal with, you've got an extra layer of did this happen or didn't it? And that's when you use phrases such as, well, according to Mara, according to Ian, or allegedly or supposedly, but I've done the best I can, and I have put together this case. Well, it's st- I'm still in the middle of it. It's still going on. I was recording. I was up all night editing, recording, working, and that, as usual. And but <laughs> this is funny. I mean, just as an aside. I seriously never worked so hard at a job. I never worked so hard in school, of course. If you would see my report cards, you would believe that. In college, n- nope. Um, grad school, yeah, because, you know, that's it's different when you're older. You're paying for it yourself, and there aren't any parties to go to. It's college and grad school are a lot different. I did work hard at my job, you know, when I was a probation officer. But I've never worked as hard as anything as I have this podcast. And it's like my child. Like, it's such an, well, I mean, I hate to turn this into a a wine session, but it's like the only thing that I have. I don't, can't work anymore. I can't do a whole lot of anything other than this. So this is what I have to do with my time. But I love it, so I can't really complain about it. But that doesn't mean I won't, because you know me. So I had figured that episode one would be Ian, number two would be Myra, and somewhere in there would be when they met and them as a couple, which I managed to do. Number three would be all five murders, and I was really, must have been high when I thought that I could fit five murders into one session because when I finished recording this morning, I talked about the first murder and then some other stuff like they did in between. And I just started the second murder and it's like 45 minutes long. And I don't want to make them shorter because that wouldn't be fair. I want to give all the information I have because what would be the point? You know, cutting information out. So, just going to have more episodes, and I don't think anybody's going to complain, because by now you should know me, that I tell everything I can find about a topic. So, what else is going on? Oh, I hope everybody's had a chance to see Alex's videos. They're really, really good. Again, 
His YouTube channel is Murderous Minds. And he's not somebody who just sets up a camera and sits there and talks. He makes legitimate movies. Like, he has film clips of the actual people involved, like news clips and stuff. And some of them, he he has interviews with the killers, like he did Gacy and um, Dennis Rader. And they both have the person talking, Ted Bundy, Jim Jones of Jonestown. And his special effects are just amazing. I was like, wow. And in case you're wondering how we met or or hooked up, we were, (laughs) it was over, um, of all people, Armin Mivas. And we both belong to a uh, true crime group on Facebook. And something was said about Armin Mivas. I don't know what. And he said he made a documentary on him. And I said I did a podcast on him. And he sent me a message, a private message. And he said, hey, what do you think about working together on a, a script? I guess he listened to my podcast and he liked it. And I wasn't sure. I didn't know what to think. And then I watched his uh, his videos. And the first one, I was blown away. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the real deal. He, I, I'm not biased. He is, well, I guess I'm biased. But for real, he is definitely one of like the top three filmmakers on YouTube. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, let's do this. So we talked back and forth and we figured out that the first one we would do would be Lonnie Franklin because I had covered the case last year and it, you know, I knew it, I was familiar with it. And the hard thing for us, it's, um, for me, it's not hard because he could say anything. Do write me a script on this topic, on this person, this, you know, whatever. And no problem, I can do it. It's just writing. The problem is for him because he has to find either pictures well, both, hopefully, and or footage of whatever case it is. And you'd be really surprised how hard this is to find. For him to find footage and pictures of a case that is he's able to use, and that's like the key phrase, he's able to use in a YouTube video. It has to have a, a certain, um, like, free license a free use thing attached to it and that's not easy to find because so many ones we've discussed will be like okay how about this case how about this case and he'll be like i can't find anything on that it's too old or there's just no pictures there's no footage whatever and um we just did another one so check it out if if you can um the guy's name is anatoly moskvin and you've probably seen him talked about he he's called the doll maker russian dude who dug up the uh, graves of girls and turned their bodies into dolls and the documentary of course is just awesome and this guy i mean i i feel so bad for him he's schizophrenic and he is crazy as a shithouse mouse that's like an American expression for my foreign listeners. He's really and truly out of touch with reality. And I was re- the more I read about him, I'm like, he is autistic. 
nobody's ever mentioned it, but it's so obvious to me because I am. I can see the, the signs in other people. And he has all the red flags. And you can be autistic and schizophrenic. And he has 60,000 books. He has the special interests. He, in the way they describe him, he's like a loner. He's interested in his special studies. He's what he knows 13 languages. And most of them are self taught. And he, sometimes people, and it's usually the victim. I've never really had a, well, he's not a killer, but a criminal that like resonates with me like, wow, this person is so much like me. And I, I said to Alex, I'm like, you know, I really feel bad for this dude. And I don't want it to come across that I like don't feel bad for the parents of the dead girls that I just, all my sympathies with him. And he's like, don't worry, just write whatever and I'll change words. And, and he did some. And it, it's still good. You know, it's, it's still really good. It's funny about when you talk about sympathy and empathy for people, either for victims and or for perpetrators. And the way I look at it, it's not an either or. It, it's not mutually exclusive. Like I can step back, pull myself back and look at things objectively and say, oh, the victim. Well, that's horrible what was done to that person. They were killed. That's awful. Blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, if it applies, I can look at the perpetrator and think, oh, well, that person had a shitty life and maybe some mental illness, some other stuff going on. I can kind of see how they ended up, how they did. And I don't think that's a real popular opinion. I think most people are like, you have to totally support the victim and you can't feel, I don't know if I want to use the word sympathy for the perpetrator, but I don't really like the word sympathy. I I prefer the word understanding. It's more of a clinical term. And um, I want to share a story that, that's really important. When I was working, we had to go to training. You'd have like so many hours of training a year. And one of the best I had was on people who are pedophiles, child sex offenders, and the people who put the training on were, uh, I guess, like clinicians who worked with pedophiles. And something the woman said really struck with me, and it it's always stayed with me, and, and I want to share it with everybody because it's so accurate. And she said, like, our society, we have this thing as saying, he's a good person, she's a good person, or, you know, he or she is a bad person. And we do, if you think about it. And she said, the better way to look at things is he did something bad that we consider bad, or she did something good. Like, people are neither good or bad, but what they do is determined by society as good or bad. And there is a philosopher, and I can't think of who it was, who said that humans are neutral. They just they just are. They're not good or bad. They just are. And I subscribe to that belief. We just exist. We're neither good or bad. And a lot of people 
would describe other people or themselves as good. You know, he's a good dude. I'm, I probably say that too. And am I a good person? I like to think so. But honestly, I'm just me. I'm just a person. And I try to do things that are good. And that, that's really all that I can say. So I tend to look at things with a philosophical tilt. And, okay, wait a minute. There's a fucking motorcycle going past. There are. Do you hear that? I deal with that all fucking day. And there's, I think, two or three motorcycles that live on my street. And like most people, they'd be like, oh, that's kind of annoying. But, you know, they ignore it. But because I have um, sensory issues, sound sensitivity, when a motorcycle goes past, it like literally, I don't know how to explain this other than it literally physically hurts me. And it's weird, but it's so obnoxious. I literally had a meltdown the other day because autistic people have meltdowns. And some, like some kids, they might like throw themselves on the floor and bash your head against a wall and scream. And when I was a kid, I hate to keep telling autobiographical stories, but we just thought I was a brat because I'd be, looked like I was having a temper tantrum, screaming. And I didn't hit my head on anything, but I would throw myself on the floor and like kick the floor and carry on and be like, oh my God, what a brat you are. And later on, I would realize that was a meltdown. And Anyway, I had a meltdown the other day because of all the noise. It was like motorcycles and trucks on the highway and music. I just sat there and cried, like sobbed, like I was at my wit's end. So I got on Facebook on one of my um, autistic support groups and I said, I, you know, can you somebody help? Like, what can I do about this noise? So um, a woman, she wasn't autistic, but her husband is. She goes, my husband swears by these. She put a link to a their earbuds, and they look kind of weird. They're, they're round. They look like circles, and they're noise-canceling. So they're called Loop. That's the brand. So I bought them. They were only 20 bucks, and I, I got the ones that are like the, the most noise-canceling. And I thought, oh, I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, you <laughs> If this works, if it deadens the noise just a little bit, then I'll be so happy. So I'm, I'm really grateful to that person. And a lot of other people were like, oh, same. We have the same issue. And, you know, we know what you're going through and so forth. And um, what was the point? Oh, the motorcycle interrupted my train of thought. Um, so I'm in a conversation with my friend Dan. Hi, Dan. Is it okay if I repeat this conversation? Well, I don't see one. Oh, I mean, it's like it's dirty or something. But he asked me, and uh, he listens to the podcast, and we talk about, like, philosophy and psychology and, like, nerdy stuff. That's why he's my best friend. And he was asking me something about sympathy, and and he brought up the, the case of Albert Fish. I'm sure everybody remembers him. He's like, is it okay to feel sympathy for somebody like that who – Really never had a chance. He was born with all, everybody in his family had a mental illness. He had a fucked up childhood. He was abused in the orphanage. And I, of course, had an answer. And I said, well, I don't look at it as sympathy. It's like, 
you know, we can feel sorry for his victims, which, of course, we, you know, you do. They're little kids who got killed. But you can also feel empathy or sympathy, if you will, for him because he was schizophrenic and his life sucked. And I said I look at it more in clinical terms of here's somebody who had a shit life, mentally ill, went on to do horrible things. There's no wins here. Everybody is the loser. And what my job is, is not to make people feel sorry for this person or that person, but to get to the root of why. Why did this happen? Why did this person do this? And if you want to feel sorry for whoever you want to feel sorry for in the story, then that's your personal decision. And that's not my business to influence that. That's how I look at it. Nathan's snorting here. Yes. Um, what's some good news? Oh, my team, that my avalanche won last night. We beat the Blues ass. And if we win one more game, we'll go on to the Western Conference Finals, if anybody cares about that. And um, I got, uh, you know, you know how I like to buy shit, like especially bath and body stuff. I got a box from Bath and Body Works yesterday. They were having a sale, a flash sale, and I couldn't say no to that. I have no self-control, but as somebody who buys this shit often, I know what the stuff costs, and I recognized what a really good deal this was, and I'm like, oh, I have to have some more lotions and body sprays because I don't have enough, and... um. I indulged in those, and I love smelling, like that stuff that smells. It's so much fun. And they're all lined up on my dresser, and it's like, oh, what do I want to smell like now? And I'll pick up one, and I got all like summer smells, like pineapple and coconut and hibiscus, and you know, summertime smells. And it's fun to spray them and. And then smell yourself, like, oh, I smell good. and Yeah, I, I like to do that. And I know I'm not the only one. So tell me through Instagram, you can email me, Facebook, whatever, what your retail therapy weakness is. I know you have one. There's something that you like to buy. If you like to smell good, if you like bath and body products, what kind do you like? What smells do you like? Nathan. Okay, that was cute for a while. But he's snorting directly into the microphone. It's it's like the Nathan Sullivan show. Ugh. Oh, speaking of funny shows, listen to my my um friends, Jesse and Chrissy. Their podcast is called The Sister Skeleton. And it's true crime and supernatural stuff. They do both. And they are so fucking funny. They're sisters, obviously. They're about my age. They pick on each other all the time. They, they're like, I hate you. You're an asshole. And I just sit there and laugh and laugh at, at them. And they're, they're so funny. Give, give them a listen. If you're depressed or you're, you know, you need an uplift or a laugh, that's my recommendation. So um, I'm going to go back to work on the Moore's murders and 
I still haven't figured out how to put music in, but honestly, I think it's better without it. Um, I had people tell me it was annoying, and it's certainly easier this way. But I do still like the bell, though. Nathan, do you want to say goodbye? You want to say something? You've been saying something all this time. Okay. I will see you in next week.